Welcome to Momentum Church. Well, good morning, Momentum Church. My name is Brantley Johnson. I'm the executive pastor here at Momentum Church, and that is the submission that our uh, youth pastor put together for uh, trying to help our youth campers uh, get the color team that they wanted to get. Uh, so I guess every year the youth camp, they do a challenge um, so that they can pick out their team colors, and whoever wins gets to pick first, whoever's in last picks the worst color possible. Um, and so Pastor Tyler came into our office with me and Pastor Corey and, um, and said, hey, look, there's this challenge, and I need two hyper-competitive people to help me win. And I was like, you found us. Um, do we have any hyper-competitive people in here? Uh, like, you're over the top, right? You're, you're trying to beat the next person to the next red light, okay? You're that, you're that person. You don't let your kids win, um, right? So, like, that's, that's me. I think it's important for children to learn how to lose. Um, and uh, they need to earn their win. So... Whenever he came in, he gave us the rules uh, for this challenge, and me and Pastor Corey were like, okay, let's figure out how we can exploit the rules. Um, and we got to find the loopholes here, and there was one extra, there was one extra rule in there that uh, was given via text message because somebody else tried to loophole the rules. Um, and so I guess at one point, somebody uh, took a ping pong table, folded it in half, and just threw the ping pong ball in, and it just bounced a million times into a cup. And they said, in that case, that would be worth two surfaces. Um, It's not a million surfaces. And so we're like, well, if one ping pong table cut in half is two surfaces, we are hoarders. (laughs) And we have these yard signs that we used like seven years ago that I don't know why we still have them, but we have 23 of them. And do you know 23 cut into nine pieces is 207 surfaces? That was my thought. And Pastor Corey's thought. And so apparently, uh, like the previous winner had gotten 68 surfaces, and they did it the right way. Um, and we didn't want to do it the right way. So we proceeded with our 207 surfaces. And can I tell you that there was a secret rule that was sent out to one church that we were not told about? And as a result, our loophole did not work, and we lost the challenge. I appreciate I appreciate the booing, Pastor Corey. (laughs) Oh, so frustrating, right? Like, we legitimately loopholed these rules in all fairness. We exploited all of the rules that we knew about. We should have won, right? But here's here's the honest truth, okay? Honestly, if we had played the game the way that uh, the heart of the game was intended to be played, we wouldn't have had that problem, right? Can I... Right? I mean, like, that's how it works, okay? But like, that's, this is what we do in life, um, and, and, and maybe not intentionally all the time, uh, but sometimes intentionally. Maybe it's a policy at work, and you're like, well, they didn't say I couldn't wear this, all right? I, I don't know what it is. You have different policies, different rules. You know, we try to exploit laws, right, or exploit what we know the laws will be like, okay, I know the speed limit says 55, but they don't give, they don't give tickets until I go to 66, so I can go to 65. I mean, like, let's, let's be honest, right? Sometimes, though, it is unintentional. And I tell you, the, the best people to loophole rules or what is being said is children. 
Children, like, they don't, they don't intend to, to try to find loopholes. It's just they take everything so literally. Um, I, I coach baseball, for those of you that don't know, and uh, my fall baseball team uh, with seven- and eight-year-olds. I knew it was going to be a long season, first practice. Um, I'm teaching ground balls to seven-year-olds. I've got four of them in a group, um, and we did it a couple of times. I'm like, all right, now... Um, all right, you four, I, I want y'all to make a line behind, I don't know what the kid's name was, Andrew. I want you to make a line behind Andrew. And it's a bad, it's a bad moment whenever they give you the blank stare because you're like, look, these are all public school kids. You know how to make a line, right? Like, <laughs> make a line. Like, I, I don't know any other way to say this, and I'm not great with children, so <laughs> I, I can't craft this for you. Right, make a line, and so they're all looking at me like with just dead blank stares. Like, I, I, this is not computing, coach. I don't know what you're saying. And so I said it one more time. I said, guys, make a line behind Andrew. And one kid, real nervously, kind of does one of these numbers and walks behind Andrew, and then he does this with his foot. I made a line, coach. <sighs> this is going to be a really long season. <laughs> but that's what kids do, though. They, 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 they just take things way too literally sometimes, right? And, and it just doesn't compute. And so here's the thing, like spiritually, spiritually, I don't care if you're doing it intentionally or unintentionally. We have the tendency to do this. We have the tendency to do this with Scripture. Um, we have the tendency to do this just with life in general. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. It's in the New Testament. Past all of the Gospels and Romans and Corinthians. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 5, starting here in verse 13, 13 through 14. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. Now, that's important. I'm going to want you to highlight that in your Bible. Uh, they're not accustomed to the word of righteousness. Now, I'm not sure how this is translated um, for you in, in your passage, uh, but I've got the New American Standard Version. Um, they're not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. He's, he's a child, Okay. And we're talking about uh, uh, being spiritually a child. And, and, and this, like so many times, like uh, whenever we go into Christian attack mode, we want to say like, well, you're immature, you're a child in the faith, you know, like, well, we got to cut that out because we don't, you know, get on to children, or at least most people don't get on to children for being children and not having enough information. Um, and, and that's what this is saying. You're not accustomed to the word of righteousness. You're not accustomed to understanding the heart of who God is. You're not accustomed to the word that says you need to sanctify your life or set your life apart. Just like in Genesis chapter one, God separates the light from the darkness. Guess what? The rest of the Bible, spoiler alert, is teaching you how to separate the light from the dark. And so that's what the word of righteousness is. Everyone who, per, uh, who, who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice, you probably want to highlight that, underline it, write a circle around it, something. Because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Now let me ask you a question. 
This is a rhetorical question. If we needed to discern good and evil, if evil was always easy to see, would we need to discern it? No. The reason why we need to be able to discern good and evil, and this, is, this should be an elementary principle for us, right? Whether you're a Christian or not, this should be an elementary principle. Whether, whether you uh, need to discern good or evil, the reason why we have to do that is because sometimes evil doesn't look all that bad. Sometimes evil can look a whole lot like love. We just got to love people. Right? Sometimes evil can look like good intentions. Sometimes evil can look like good thoughts. Can I tell you that sometimes good thoughts are not godly thoughts? See, it, it, it's... it's it, in the beginning, right? Chapter one, Genesis, go back and read it. Just that one verse. God separates the light from the darkness. I tell you, in that one verse, you can find so much life out of that. Because if you can understand that in the beginning, whenever God created the heavens and the earth and he created light and darkness, the first thing he did after creating light was he started separating it. There has to be a separation there. And if there has to be a separation there so that you understand what is light and what is dark, then the enemy's aim is going to be to confuse that. The enemy's aim is going to be to, 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 to try to get you to, to not separate light and dark and say, well, this isn't too dark. This, this is light enough. It's more light than what I had. That's what the enemy wants to do. Where God says, I need to separate the light and the dark, the enemy says, I need to confuse that. And so we have to have our senses trained through practice to discern what is actually good, what is actually godly, what is the word of righteousness, and what is evil. We can't use words like, well, it's not that bad. If, if you want to make your, your life better in here right now, I, I, this, you could take this and go home right now. I don't care, right? Look, if you want to make your life better, get rid of the words, not that bad, or not as bad as. You get rid of those phrases in your life whenever you're referring to yourself? Well, it's not, it's not that bad. I'm, at least I'm not as bad as. If you can get rid of those, your life will be better, guaranteed. Have a nice day. All right? You want to live a godly life? Get rid of those phrases. Because that's not the standard. The standard is separation of light and dark. That's it. And, and can I tell you, like, okay, so whenever it comes to, let, let's just, I, so I would call it loopholing scripture, right? Finding loopholes in scripture, right? That, that's kind of what can happen. We can start to muddy the areas of what's light and what's dark. And, and for most of us in here, I would say that most of us, it's an accident. It's like that childish kind of, well, I took what somebody said and I just held on to that thing. Um, not because I'm trying to intentionally skirt the will of God or, or get around uh, uh, God's best from my life. It's just, well, I didn't have a better explanation that was given to me and this is what I've got. And, and, and it's an accidental loophole. I, this is, I did this um, growing up. I, I grew up in a church that was a cessationist church. Um, good church, so cessationism, um, you can find it in different, um, different denominations and whatnot. Cessationists believe that all the power of the Holy Spirit was done away with. Like it has ceased. It has ceased. 
there are no miracles of healing. Uh, there are no words of prophecy. There are no tongues. There's, there's no, none of that stuff. It's all gone. That's what a cessationist believes. Now, at my church, it was a great, great Jesus-loving church. We saved, we didn't save them, Jesus saved them. Uh, brought a lot of people in, uh, evangelized, um, believed that a lot of people are going to heaven because of that church. Uh, however, uh, as a cessationist, we believe that, like, once you get to heaven, that's whenever you get to see God's supernatural power. Like, that's the only supernatural power that you get on this earth is just being saved. That's it. And everything else is, well, it just doesn't exist anymore. And, and it's fictitious. Not just that it doesn't exist, but if you see something like that, it's not real. And so I grew up very skeptical of anything supernatural. I didn't experience anything supernatural uh, growing up in my life. And, and so the way that we would understand that is by going to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You can feel free to look it up. I think it's verse 10. Um, says that something to the effect of uh, when the perfect comes, the partial is done away with. Now, the way that that is understood by cessationists is, is that whenever the perfect comes, that's the Bible. Whenever it was canonized, okay, so the Bible is made up of a bunch of different letters uh, written by different guys throughout Scripture and um, it was canonized. And whenever that book was canonized into the Bible, um, it was formed into the one thing that we now call the Bible. At that point, that was when the perfect come, uh, came, and so all of the partial has been done away with. All of the uh, uh, miracles of healing, all of the prophecy, everything has been done away with. Uh, and, uh, and now we have, we have all that we need in the Bible. And so we would ignore, uh, so it's in 1 Corinthians 13, so we would ignore uh, 1 Corinthians 12, and we would ignore 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, because all of that says, hey, you should be pursuing the things of the Holy Spirit and God's supernatural power because, hey, guess what? You kind of need it. You kind of need that power here on this earth. But the way that I used it to justify what I was seeing or not seeing was that I would say, I don't see anything supernatural around me at any time. Therefore, I need scripture to support why I'm not seeing what I'm not seeing. I need scripture to support why I don't see miracles happen. And so then I can hang on to that and say, well, not only do I not see miracles happen, and that's correct, it's good theology for me to not see miracles happen, but now I can hang on to that for the future and say why I won't see miracles happen in my life, why, why I can't see God's supernatural power in my life. I would ignore the rest of the Old Testament where before, by the way, before the Holy Spirit showed up for everybody, um, before Jesus showed up in the flesh, right, there were miracles that happened through normal people. I would ignore all of the stuff afterwards where Jesus has left the earth and, in t and has told all of his disciples, look, go and be like me. And then his disciples tell the next generation, you should be like me as I am like Jesus, performing miracles, casting out demons, uh, 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 giving words of prophecy, right? Doing all of these things supernaturally because, by the way, we're here to take back territory, not just get people to heaven one day. We would ignore all of that, and I felt very good about hanging on to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 10. That's what got me through. It explained why I didn't see the things that maybe other people were seeing. 
Until eventually I came to a point in my life where I needed the supernatural power of God to show up. I couldn't, I couldn't just uh, continue on praying that one day I'll get to see God face to face in heaven and that until then, guys, I'm going to say this. I, I, don't, I don't know any other way to say it. Okay, so I ask for forgiveness right now. Until then, we're screwed. We got nothing here on this earth until one day we get to see Jesus. I, I came to a point where I needed supernatural God to show up into the natural, something that was beyond me, something that was beyond my family. I needed that God to show up. And then whenever my wife went to Haiti, she went to Haiti on her first trip, I think maybe seven years ago or so, somewhere around there, so whenever I, I first encountered a, a time where I really needed the supernatural God to show up, like the whole time, okay, so I, I got to give you a little bit of, little bit of backstory here. In, inside, deep inside, I'd always felt like there was something more, right? I held on to 1 Corinthians 13, 10, but I always felt like a, a lot of the Bible, can I just tell you, a lot of the Bible doesn't make a whole lot of sense if there is no supernatural God. Like it just doesn't make any sense. And I always felt like there was something, but I held on to my scripture. I held on to my scripture. It justified everything that I didn't see in life, right? Well, then I had that moment where I needed a supernatural God, and a supernatural God showed up, and that just totally messed up my world, okay? And I'm like, well, now I, re I don't know where to go from here, but I know that something's now wrong with my theology. And then my wife went to Haiti on her first missions trip. And you got to keep in mind, uh, they got back late at night. And when I say late at night, some of y'all are thinking like, oh, 1 a.m., I wonder what time they got back. They got back at 9.30. <laughs> I go to bed early. I, I just do. Their plane was landing at 9.30, and um, she was riding back with one of her friends that went on that trip as well, so um, I didn't have to go pick her up. And... So her plane lands, I make sure that that's good to go, and I'm ready to go to bed. Um, and God interrupts my bedtime and is like, listen, your wife is going to come back, and she's experienced a whole lot of crazy stories, and every one of them is true. I want you to listen to her. Whenever God speaks to you that clearly, like, you're like, okay, I guess this is what we're doing now. Like, so I put on a pot of coffee, and I start drinking, because I'm like, whew, we gotta, I, gotta wake, I gotta wake up so I can hear these stories. She came back and started telling me all these stories about how they experienced people that were actually demon-possessed. Um, she told me stories about how they prayed for people for miracles of healing, and they happened. She told me stories about specific words of prophecy that nobody else could possibly know. She told me stories about how some people started speaking in tongues who had never experienced it and weren't looking to experience it. She told me all these different stories, and I said, okay, my loophole cannot hold up anymore. My loophole can't hold up. It has now, the God of the universe has interacted with my life in a very supernatural way at this point, and I can't ignore it anymore. And so I started to pursue, what does that look like? What, what does a, a supernatural life look like in Scripture? And I approached everything very skeptically. I started listening to people I didn't agree with. And then 
every scripture reference that they, would, that they would list out, I would go and I would read through those scriptures to see if I agreed with them. And you know what? 98% of the time, I was like, you know what? I can't argue with this. But what did that do? It, it required something on my part. It required this desire to understand. I, I can't loophole this anymore. I have to have full understanding. Hey, can I tell you that in the last seven years, I have personally prayed for people and seen some crazy miracles happen. I have had some crazy specific words of prophecy. Like, this stuff is real, y'all. But I never would have experienced it if I wasn't okay with confronting my loophole. And, and you know, this is where it's hard, okay? Because I, I want to I, I get into the hard part of Scripture here for you. The hard part of the lesson. Because we have to confront what that loophole is for you. Um, and and it, it, it may hurt some of you, but I have, to, I have to let you know, look, I know some of y'all call me a robot because I'm just so like, let's do the next thing. Like, let's just, I, this isn't rocket science. Let's just fix it, you know? But as a pastor, as, as a pastor for you in this moment, I got to let you know, there's some scary stuff out there that wants to rob you from your best. There's some scary stuff out there. And for a lot of people in this room, it doesn't mean that you are suddenly like demonically oppressed, like significantly in some sort of significant way. But if there was something that was keeping you from all of the abundant life that God had intended for you, and I could see it and you couldn't, you would probably want me to tell you about it. Because you want the best for your life. And you have to get rid of this notion that God wants you to live some poor, uh, uh, hurting, uh, detestable life on this earth so that you can just one day get to heaven. I don't believe that that's what God wants for you. I think he says, whenever Jesus says that he wants to give you life and life more abundantly, that doesn't mean he wants to take away fun. Like that's not, that's not what he's trying to do. He's not like, man, I, I just want to ruin their fun. I'd really like for them to be poor and struggling and, and irritable and have no hope and have no joy in life. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 22. This is a long passage here. It's a long story, but it's really important that we understand it. It's really important that you read it so that you can face some of the reality that you may be facing today. 1 Kings chapter 22. <clears throat> it's a long passage here. But we need to read this story. You need, you need to understand the reality of what you're facing. I'm going to go to verse 5 here. Moreover, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, that's Ahab, please inquire first for the word of the Lord. They're, they're talking about going up and uh, getting into war with another country. Uh, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire first for the word of the Lord. Now, that, that word Lord there, uh, it's actually God's name, Yahweh. He's being very specific. He's not just saying, just go ask your prophets for uh, a word from a God, or, you know, there's a lot of different gods around. He's, he's naming specifically which God he wants a message from. The God of the universe is who he's looking for. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord... Notice it's... And, and if you look this up, different, different word there. 
For the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. They don't use God's name there. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not yet a prophet of Yahweh, the Lord, here that we may inquire of him? The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of Yahweh specifically, but I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. But Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, son of Imlah. We're going to jump to verse 13. Then the messenger who went to summon Micaiah, spoke to him, saying, Behold, now the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king. Please let your word be the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, as Yahweh lives, what he says to me, that I shall speak. When he came to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? And he answered, Go up and succeed. And the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. He's totally being sarcastic right now. Then the king said to him, How many times must I adjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So Micaiah said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. Then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right and on his left. The Lord said, Who will entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said this, while another said that. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. The Lord said to him, How? And he said, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then he said, you are to entice him and also prevail. Go and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets, and the Lord has proclaimed disaster against you. Verse 26. Then the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this man in prison and feed him sparingly with bread and water until I return safely. Micaiah said, If you indeed return safely, Yahweh has not spoken by me. And he said, Listen, all you people. Verse 34, we're almost done. Now, a certain man, they're in battle at this point. Now a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel in a joint of the armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of the fight for I'm severely wounded. The battle raged that day and the king was propped up in his chariot in front of the Arameans and died at evening and the blood from the wound ran into the bottom of the chariot. Then a cry passed through the army close to sunset saying, every man to his city and every man to his country. Here's the thing. Ahab wanted to go into battle, and he looked for all of the people in his life to tell him this was a good idea. Looked for all the people to tell him what he considered good. What he considered good. And he had 400 people around him that were willing to speak with a spirit of deception to him. Can I tell you, also though, 
The Lord wanted him to walk into abundant life. The Lord did not want him to die that day. I can tell you that confidently because Micaiah, a prophet of Yahweh, was sent for. And he gave him the word that was correct. And he still chose to listen to the 400 people that told him what he wanted to hear. We can encounter that in our lives. There are going to be plenty of people that are going to tell you what you want to hear, and you cannot be okay with that. You have to be willing to say, this doesn't sit right with me. It feels good. Don't get me wrong. It feels good. But I think we all know, right? We all know whenever you got that little thing in your heart, and you're like, ah, I don't know that that's right. right. Isn't it funny how your voice gets real high? Ah, I don't know that that's quite right. That's what happens to us, right? But it feels good. It feels good, right? Can I tell you that I ate two donuts last night that were awesome? <laughs> and they felt good going down. But if I want to get in shape, if I want to continue to move in the direction that I'm trying to move into, those donuts, as good as they taste, are evil for my body. But they sure did feel good going down. You got 400 people around you that are all telling you what you want to hear. You need one person in your life who's willing to say, don't do it. You need to get the heart of God behind this. You need to understand scripture in full context because the New Testament, if I can tell you for a second, the New Testament does not stand alone. It is supported by all of the Old Testament stuff that Jesus has already spoken. And if you need help understanding that, you got all kinds of people in your life that could help you figure that out. You got a bunch of pastors on staff here. If this is your church, you got another church, you got a bunch of pastors at that church that can help you figure that out. But here's something that, here's something that I, I felt like, you know, so sometimes Jesus takes these really awesome stories in the Old Testament, and, and then the New Testament kind of provides some some different clarification for us. Let's go to Matthew. The thing is, is as you read scripture, you got to listen with open ears. You got to listen with open ears because there was a part in this that probably, I'm going to guess about a third of you, whenever I read it, you're like, I've heard that before. I, let's go to Matthew chapter nine. Okay. I'm going to give you the part that you've probably thought Whenever you heard it, you're like, I've heard this before. And whenever you think to yourself, I've heard this before, go do research. All right? Because you're probably not wrong. You probably have heard it before. This is when Micaiah is giving the, the, the word. And he says, I saw all Israel. This is verse 17. Don't worry about changing the slide. Keep that there. <clears throat> I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd. You've heard that before. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 9. And, and if you go back, right, I, like we don't have all day here, so I'm not going to read through the whole chapter. Go back and look at all of the things that are leading up to this point. Jesus is healing all kinds of people. He's setting all kinds of people free. He's doing crazy stuff that people haven't seen before, which, by the way, they should have seen before to some degree. 
Okay, if we go back into the Old Testament, you see prophecy, you see miracles happening, you see the Spirit descending on people, you see where the rabbis, the priests, they're supposed to operate in a supernatural anointing. They are supposed to have this supernatural thing where they are are delivering people, they're helping set people free, they are the hands and feet of God on the earth. God has entrusted them to do this. As they were going out, a mute, demon-possessed man was brought to him. After the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed and were saying, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. That's a problem. When Jesus hears that, nothing like this has ever happened before? You haven't seen people set free? You haven't seen people lifted up? You haven't seen the the dead come back to life? That's a problem. And, and that is why Jesus was sent, because there was a problem, right? There was a, there was a mass problem called sin in the earth that corrupted people's hearts, that corrupted people's hearts and kept them from all of God's best for their lives. There was a problem. And Jesus, hearing this from them, I've never seen anything like this before. His heart broke. You should be seeing this. But the Pharisees were saying, Ah, he casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. Ah, loopholes, right? Let's, let's figure out how we can justify why we're not seeing what we should be seeing in this life. Let's figure out why we're not walking in the full anointing that we've been called to walk in. Let's hold on to that loophole. Let's go to the next slide. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Beseech God. Ask God to give you a heart to go and do the things that I'm doing. Be like me. Go and set people free. I'm giving you that power. Go and do what God has called you to do. Go and bring people back into the abundant life that I have for them here on this earth. It's not just one day. It's two days. I don't, I don't want to see these people hurt and broken and bound by the, the, by the ruler of this age. That's not what I want. I don't want to see them suffer. I don't want them to just be all impoverished, living on a, under a bridge somewhere. Like, that's not what I want. I've called them into abundant life. And that doesn't mean everybody's rich. That, that's not what that means. But I, I just want everybody to know, wherever you're at, I have abundant life for you. I have more for your life. And if you're settling for less, you're settling for a loophole in this life that I didn't call you to. I have more for your life. And if you believe anything less, you perhaps have been giving into a spirit of deception in the mouths of 400 people around you that tell you what you want to hear, but not what you need to hear. Matthew, it doesn't say that Jesus said that they were like sheep without a shepherd, but Matthew says it. 
He was trying to uh, get across a concept to the people that were going to be reading this. And it's cross-referenced in Scripture as well, so you can look it up. At least the, the, the translators believed that this was enough of, of a coincidence in, in exact wording that it should be linked together. And, and, and it's an inference here. We don't know exactly what was going through Matthew's mind, but there's definitely some kind of link there. And it's like Matthew is trying to get across the point that if you are not doing the things that Jesus has called you to do, living in your full anointing, then perhaps you are being given into the same spirit that King Ahab was given to, who he was called to lead and protect the people around him that were entrusted to him by God. And whenever he chose to give in to whatever felt good instead of what actually was good, he left his people abandoned on the side of a hill like sheep without a shepherd. And when we choose to give in to a spirit of deception that only says, feed me whatever feels good, then we choose to to unite with that spirit of deception that King Ahab had. And the people in our lives that we're supposed to affect and impact on this earth are going to be left like sheep without a shepherd. You have sheep in your life that you're called to affect, to lead into a life more abundantly. Even Peter, let's go to Mark chapter 6. It's not on the screen here. Mark chapter 6. Ah. And it's, I love it because it's a, different, it's a different context, but it's the same. And if you start reading around, you start reading around, you start to get a feel for perhaps maybe what was going on in, in these guys' minds. Ah, here we go. We're going to go to verse 34. Of Mark 6. Check this out. It's, a, it's the same thing. Peter, Peter and Matthew, man, they, they, were, they were thinking similar thoughts, it seems like, whenever they were writing. So uh, this is the feeding of the 5,000. People saw them going, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd. And check this out. This is not Jesus talking, right? This is Peter talking through John Mark. John Mark is writing this for him. And so uh, uh, Peter is, is trying to get his, his readers to understand what Jesus was feeling, uh, uh, similarities between Jesus and the Old Testament so that they could understand. He saw a large crowd, and Jesus felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate, and it is already quite late Send them away so that they may go into surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. I'll go back to 1 Kings. They said, send them away so that they could find something to eat. Send them away to their own places, to their own villages, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each of them return to his house 
and peace. He turns to his disciples. Jesus turns to his disciples when they suggest they should all just go away to their own villages, to their own countryside, to their own houses, and find something to eat. Jesus says, that's what people do that have no shepherd. That's what people do who have nobody to influence them the way that I would want them to be influenced. That's what people do. They, they leave. They disperse. They get away from each other. Whenever they have no one to teach them how to live, you can teach them how to live. You can influence them. You can be the leader I've called you to be in their lives. It may be a friend. It may be a relative. It may be a co-worker. It may be somebody that you really don't like, but you've been entrusted with them. You've been entrusted to be a shepherd in their life. And if all we do is accept the things in life that sound good but aren't godly, we will leave those people that we've been entrusted with like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus says, you feed them. You're the ones that have been entrusted with this. It's not on Jesus to do this. It's on you. You go be the shepherd. Stop listening to the voice of deception. Stop listening to a spirit that's deceiving you. Dig deep. Find the answers. Find the answers in Scripture. Don't settle. When you have that thing in your heart that says, I know this sounds good. I know that the grace of God, right? We've been saved by grace, not through works. I don't have to worry about how much I drink anymore. I don't have to worry about who I'm having sex with anymore. I don't have to worry about my relationships. I don't have to worry about tithing anymore because I've been saved by grace, not by works. That's a real great spirit of deception you're listening to. God loves everybody. It doesn't matter what they do. They don't have to live according to the principles in Scripture. That's a spirit of deception that you're listening to. Love wins. That's a spirit of deception. The heart behind it. It sounds really good whenever you just hold it by itself. You start putting stuff in context, and now all of a sudden, you start to realize, I've been deceived. I know that doesn't feel good to think that. It doesn't. But in Genesis chapter 1, he separated the light from the darkness. And it starts inside of you so that you can be the shepherd, so that you can be the king or queen that God has called you to be and walk in abundant life. Because he wants nothing less for you than absolute abundant life. Don't settle for anything less. But it's going to take some work. It is going to take some work. And you got to dig into the whole context of Scripture and stop trying to find the loopholes in the Bible that make you feel good. Let's pray. Dear God, I just thank you so much, Lord, for today. Mm. God, I pray that your spirit would move over us right now, God. Move into hearts right now. God, the tension that we feel, that's good tension right now. It's good tension, Lord. 
I know that there are some people in here right now who you've been living this loophole out, whatever the loophole is, you've been living it out, and you know it, and you, you've got that thing inside of you that's like, I know that this isn't right. I know it's not right, and, and I want to stop the loopholes. I want to stop justifying what I'm doing, but I don't know, I don't know how to break free from it. If that's you, and you want to break free right now, spiritually, I'd like to help you. If that's you and you want to break free, you, you know what it is right now. You just know. And you want to break free, I want you to raise your hand so that I can pray for you. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'm going to pray for you right now. First, I, I, want, to, I want to bless you with encouragement. That spirit of discouragement that you feel, that is not from God. It's not. He looks on you with kindness and compassion. And his heart is to see your heart changed. And in that moment that you raised your hand, something in your heart changed. And God honors that move right there. God, I pray right now in Jesus' name for everybody who's raised their hand. God, I release the courage to find the the context of your scripture, God. God, I release the conversations that you want to have, God, and I shut up the conversations of the 400 prophets right now in their lives. Prophets, you shut up in Jesus' name right now. You do not speak for the Lord. God, and I release your word to them in Jesus' name. God, I, I release conversations. I release uh, 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 the Bible to just open, God, to where you want them to go to find answers, God. I release context. I release your heart, God, because that's ultimately what we're finding. We got to find your heart, Lord. And I release your heart, God, your heart of compassion, your heart of understanding, your heart of wisdom, God, to them. We love you so much, God. And I pray that you bless all my friends in here today and all my friends online. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.